This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not made for anyone under the age of 13. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to John vs. Film. And before I get into the movie... I gotta do some house cleaning stuff first. Uh, well, to start off, apologies on the long hiatus. Uh, what happened was I was actually kind of feeling a bit off with how the podcast was going. And what, <laughs> I was going to make like a, I'm going to uh, take a little break, you know, episode or whatever. Um, but... What happened was is that I got pretty sick the first week. You know, the week after the Resident Evil episode came out. You know, I, it was pretty bad. I had a pretty bad fever. And the second week, uh, mental health, you know, it, it was kind of... I needed a break, alright? Sorry I didn't announce that I was going on break. But, yeah, so I'm back from that. Second of all... I want to change the focus on the podcast a little bit. Uh, this is partly due to how you know past episodes have been doing on YouTube. And, well, I would say other podcast places, but that <laughs> I'm barely getting anything off <laughs> from other outlets. But I'm just going to say, I it seems you know, to me, when I try to do something that's more, uh, say, trying to play to the algorithm, like talking about a current movie like The Batman, when that came out, or Spider-Man No Way Home, didn't do well because I would miss the mark because it would take a week for me to get the episode out. So those didn't do well. What have done well is... like. Castle of Cagliostro, you know, video actually did pretty well comparatively, you know, in terms of views, likes. Yeah, it, it that blew out of the water for no reason. I I did an episode of Castle of Cagliostro in February, and then people like you know clicked on that. So, um, and also you know again you know the first four episodes, you know they had. Decent amount of views with the Godzilla movies, the MonsterVerse movies to be specific. So, what I'm going to do for this podcast from now on, instead of being kind of a general movie podcast, I'm going to make this more focus on Japanese cinema, and I'm not going to be really playing on the algorithm a lot. So, I'm probably not going to be talking about a current movie unless I really want to talk about that movie. So, you know, I'm not, so like how I had the podcast up before I had them broke up into months, you know, talking about, you know, revolving around something that was coming out that month, you know, in the movies. So what I'm going to do forward is I'm going to talk about Japanese cinema because one, I'm really passionate into Japanese cinema. Two, I'm trying to learn Japanese myself, so that's beneficial for me to constantly, you know, be 
you know, I guess exposed, exposed is the word I'm looking for, exposed to the, you know, Japanese language. So the more of that, the better. You know, and also, again, there is that part. They seem to do better. And I think I'll just be beneficial for my own mental health. And, you know, not trying to get episodes out like, okay, I got to get something, you know, to do what's popular out right now. So I'm going to just do my own thing. Talk about the movies I want to. I'm done with kind of the months, you know, way I was doing it. Like, talk about these set of movies this month, you know, just having a theme for each month. And I'm going to, at least for the start, I'm going to just talk, you know, I'm going to go through like series of movies and maybe probably sprinkle in, you know, individual movies that aren't part of a series throughout. And because I'm recording this before any knowledge of a Shin Ultraman release in the US, I'm waiting. Uh, I'm going to do. A different series other than Ultraman because I don't want to say like, I was going to originally do Ultraman movies but what happened is <laughs> um, again you know I just don't want to be like I, I just want to wait to find out when Shin Ultraman is going to be released in the US before I do an Ultraman movie thon so and I feel like Godzilla because there's 30 movies I want to wait to do that, you know, and I'm, I'll do that in chronological order. I will definitely be talking about all the Godzilla movies. So, but I am going to talk about a series of movies that is relatively short compared to the likes of Ultraman and Godzilla. And that is Gamera. And what better way to start off with than a Daikaiju Gamera? Uh, yeah, so apologies for that long house cleaning intro. So if you have made it this far, I appreciate it. We're going to get into the movie right now. And also, by the way, for the folks on YouTube, there's more stuff to come. I'm going to have a little video, you know, breaking down that as it goes. But yeah, anyway, review movie itself let's go right now all right first of all the movie is called daikaiju gamera uh or gamera the giant monster and it's english dub movie like title was gamera the invincible but we're talking about daikaiju gamera so gamera yeah, I just wanted to pronounce it right. See, again, I'm trying to learn Japanese, so I got to focus on my pronunciation. The movie was directed by Noriaki Yuasa. Yeah, Yuasa. And it was written by Nisan Takahashi. So, here's how we go on John versus Film. You know, and also I feel like I need to start having a little Japanese intro now. But we'll work on it as we go. But yeah. What we're doing now for John vs. Film is this part is 
hasn't changed. So I'm going to talk about five things I like, and then I'll talk about five things I dislike or have my criticisms on. And then I'll end it on with an overall thoughts. So are we good with that? And by the way, I should have a disclaimer at the beginning that I'm talking full-on spoilers. So if you haven't seen this movie, uh, beware. Spoilers. So go away. Go away if you haven't watched the movie. But you probably have. It's like, what, if 50, almost 60-year-old movie? Yeah, it's, it's going to be almost 60 years old. Jesus. Yeah, anyway, first thing, what I like about the movie is I really like the intro and opening credits because what it does is not only... So, a little history between Gamera and, you know, movies is that Gamera is kind of... uh, was meant to be competition towards Toho's kaiju films because Toho... Pretty much were the only ones in the movie market making gaiju spectacles, and Dai want the uh, part of that. Now there is a Gamera wasn't originally going to be that. Gamera was kind of an accident because the original monster was going to be Nezra. But there is a movie to explain why that didn't happen. It's called Nezra, nineteen sixty four. I have yet to see that movie, but I will check it out as soon as I'm done watching these Gamera movies. Probably, hopefully, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, that there's the context. And also, with the movie com- uh, being made in 1965, or coming out in 1965, I should say, that was definitely in the middle of a big historical event. You know, it, it was called... Cold War, <laughs> you know, and everybody in the world was kind of freaking out about World War Three possibly happening. So there's a lot of tension with that. And I bring that up, especially the Cold War aspect is because that's what we get introduced into this movie is that, you know, we got this Cold War tension with U.S. Uh, so the movie starts off. Let me backtrack. The movie starts off with Professor... No, I'm sorry. Doctor. Doctor Hidaka, played by Eiji Funakoshi. And, you know, with his assistant, Kyoko Yamamoto, who is played by Harumi Kirachi. And photographer, Ayoga... Aogai, oh, sorry, A, no, Aogi, Aoyagi, 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 sorry, I was trying to pronounce that, uh, I'm learning, I'm learning, guys, I swear, and Aoyagi, Aoyagi is played by Junichiro Yamashita. And those three are they're going to an Eskimo camp, you know, about this uh, slab of rock that we'll find out later in the movie is about Gamera, depicting what who Gamera is. And 
while they're there, they see fighter planes flying by. You know, and the Eskimo leader chief says the devil's bird. And what happens is that there's a scuffle between the U.S. and unidentified fighters, you know, that haven't responded. So there was a, because they didn't respond, you know, the U.S., you know, fire pilot shoots down one of the planes and the plane lands in the Arctic ice. And that plane also had a nuclear bomb in it. So that caused a nuclear explosion. And was, so you get this sense of paranoia, I guess, you know, just this feeling of fear of we don't know what this enemy is and we're scared. And that's what kind of causes you know, that to happen. And also, that leads on to what I also love about this intro, is that we don't wait, you know, half an hour or an hour or whatnot for Gamera to show up. It was right after that we see the ice breaking apart and Gamera comes up. And the opening credits, they remind me of an episode of Ultra Q, even though this movie came out before Ultra Q. It's the first episode of Ultra Q. It's uh, with Gomez. So the intro has, you know, the opening credits, they're just like shows Gamera walking and it's just different close-up shots onto Gamera's body. It's honestly pretty cool. Uh, I really like how Gamera emerges, you know, emerges from his icy slumber, you know, from the bottom of the Arctic, you know, ice just climbing up as snows flying above and then him just walking as the music's playing. It's really cool. It sets kind of just the tensions of the Cold War going forward and just Gamera's overarching presence, you know, presence, I should say. And there are, you know, some bit of, you know, I guess Cold War frustrations throughout, you know, the movie, or at least from this, uh, the directors or the creative team's uh, point of view. Like, later in the movie, Gamera attacks Tokyo, and a bunch of soldiers were trying to be like, hey, Gamera, you know, hey. You know, they go into a club where everyone's partying and the soldier's like, hey, everybody, evacuate. Gamera's coming. And everybody in the club's like, yeah, all right. Why is, why should we care? You know, and it's obviously the younger generation. And it kind of shows that the younger generation just didn't care, you know, about what was going on. There was, you know, a lack of urgency, you know, more like, oh, we'll be fine. It, it doesn't impact us. And it makes me wonder if that was the attitude some Japanese citizens had during the Cold War. Just not, you know, very relaxed, you know, like, oh, everything's going to be fine attitude. You know, like, nothing's going to bad happen. Um, I wonder if that was the case in Japan during the Cold War. I'm not entirely sure. I doubt it was kind of a majority problem, but maybe 
a minority, a significant minority, was having it. I don't have the knowledge, you know, proper knowledge to know this for sure, but it, this is just kind of like what I interpreted in the movie. And funny enough, I I don't I feel it's a little risky if I go into this, but it does feel like it's uh, the movie in some ways kind of reflects on how we're dealing with a certain giant world <laughs> impactful event that is definitely going to be part of the history books. And that's as far as I'm going to say, because anything more, that's just going to cause problems. So moving on to my next thing that I like is that the film is in black and white. Now, the thing is, I actually watched the movie through Arrow Video's release. So I watched the August Ragoni's introduction before I watched the movie. And apparently black and white was the... Because nobody really wanted to have their hands, you know, touch their hands you know, on camera. They wanted to stay away from camera camera. That pretty much had a lower budget because of that. So, if they had the budget to film in color, they would have filmed in color. But because they didn't have the budget, the movie was black and white instead. And again, personally, I like that because it makes this camera movie feel different than what we'll get in the rest of the Showa series. You know, and it makes the movie feel just a bit more serious with that harsh lighting and dark shadows that we get to see in black and white movies. Uh, which, you know, so again, you know, it's just that it feels more reminiscent to the original Godzilla in that way. I think the black and white helps with that fact. And then I guess I'll lead on to my next point, which is the cinematography. Uh, the cinematography was actually pretty good. Uh, I felt that, well, it wasn't like mind-blowing cinematography. It does feel like, it doesn't feel cheap. It feels like a lot of the cinematography was very deliberate. You know, deliberate. I don't know what I said, what I just said back then. But you get, I hope you understand what I'm trying to get at. There's, you know, some really, you know, cool shots you know it doesn't feel cheap it feels like they're actually trying to make a movie <laughs> because uh I, the thing is with you know future gamma movies and the gamma series at least the show era series has a reputation of feeling cheap so having some of these you know close-up shots these this nice blocking it it's that it feels very competent i'll say that Oh, so again, I don't think there's some mind-blowing shots that are like, oh, I need to have this framed on a wall for me to look at this beautiful shot from Daikaiju Gamera. No, but I am saying it gives a you know a sense of competency. You know, these weren't just shots for the sake of oh, we just need to get stuff in film. That there was like thought put into them and it makes the movie feel just that bit more cinematic 
then my next point, the second to last point for what I like about this movie is the tokusatsu special effects in this movie has a charm to it. You know, like I mentioned before, the movie has, you know, did not have a great budget. And also, yes, I have to remember, Dae was not Toho, and Dae did not have A.G. Subraya, which Subraya was pretty much the guy who invented tokusatsu the way we know it now. You know, or at least the kaiju part, you know, the kaiju ega. So, uh, I didn't look up who did the special effects in this movie. If you allow me a quick second, I can do that through IMDb. IMDb. Does it say? Does it say? I should mention, you know, looking at it right now. Nobu. Monikawa, he was the cinematographer behind the movie, so good job, Monikawa-san. Uh, special effects director was Yonesaburu Tsukiji, and I will look him up real quick. Uh, he's known for... Wow, this was like his only special effects credit. Uh, for the Gamera movies and Kaiju, Ega's general, or at least according to IMDb. Uh, because the only other credits he has was, for IMDb's listing is special effects for Ten Dark Woman in 1961 and Kameto-san uh, TV series. He was special photographic effects and that was a 1967 TV series, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, but anyway, what I'm trying to get to, uh, is there, this isn't Subaraya. So there is, you know, kind of that like expect, you know, expect, but I can't speak right now, (laughs) you know. You can't have the same expectations that you would have of A.G.'s Subraya and his team at Toho. They're a different beast. But for what we did get in this movie, I feel it has a, a really, you know, charm to it. A very good charm to it. You know, you can tell that it's not as up to the level... As Subraya's work and Toho's work, especially at that moment, but it gets the job done enough. And again, it's very, it has this charm to it because you still feel that craftsmanship going into the suit making, the miniatures, and the destruction, you know, and this also the sets themselves. In fact, you know. Going back to the Arctic, I really like that set of, you know, the breaking of the ice, that effect. I really like that. I really also like Gamera's, uh, like, attack on Tokyo. And there's, like, this one moment where you see Gamera, you know, going after a building. And what they do in the building 
which I thought was pretty cool, is that they have, you know, little like silhouettes of people in the windows. Like you could tell they're cut out silhouettes, but it still adds to the charm of there's people inside of it. So there is that sort of detail put into this movie, and I really enjoyed it for that. And the last thing I'm going to talk about for my likes is that I really liked Gamera himself. You know, because unlike, say, how Godzilla first showed up in his movie, or how a lot of the other, like, Toho, you know, Kaiju show up before Gamera came out, you know, they, those, to, you know, Toho Kaiju were like, they were like gods. You know, they were essentially out of our leagues. They were forces of nature. There was some sympathy with Kaiju, but for the most part, you know, they're treated as nature's rat. You know, like a force of nature, like I said. Gamera here is treated like an animal. And isn't also, isn't like portrayed as inherently evil to an extent. You know, I will touch about some of it later on. But we see that they explain Gamera's actions as a knee, you know, he's needs, you know, something to eat. Because, you know, the thing with Gamera is that he eats fire. Like all turtles do, they they all eat fire. But you know, they explained that he's just, he's starving essentially. He's been what frozen in ice for how many years? But yeah, this jet flying you know turtle that can you know that shoots jets out of himself and breathes fire. He needs to eat, and he apparently eats inorganic fuel. You know, like inorganic materials and converts them into energy, aka, you know, fossil fuels and fire and whatnot. You know, so it treats like his attack more so just an animal kind of like, you know, desperately searching for food and is also, he's very hangry, very hangry because of that. But what also makes Gamera stand out is that he actually saves a human like directly saves a human this is you know because toshio he's about to fall from a lighthouse that gamera attack but gamera sees it and he actually reaches his hand out and saves toshio from falling to his doom and he also then gently you know places toshio back onto the ground he actually shows that he has some sort of care for at least children you know so that makes him like stand out from the toho kaiju you know for that fact alone and it makes you feel more sympathetic to gamera himself you know so gamera as a character he feels very much more unique and somewhat three more three-dimensional than what we got with Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, and the show era. Well, uh, maybe not so much Mothra, but it's one of those, you know, there's more to Gamera than just a mindless monster. I will leave it at that.
that's the thing I like about Gamera. Now, now that I talked about five things I liked about this movie, it's time for me to go crumbling or smashing or whatever. I, I'm going to talk about the things I dislike or have my criticisms on. And the first thing is, is that, so, this is towards the climax of the movie, where they have to somehow lead Gamera towards this, you know, island for Plan Z to go into effect. Which, by the way, Plan Z is to shoot Gamera out into space. Um, so, what happens is that, so... What they do is they try to lure Gamera with fire, you know, with a trail of fire, like oil fire on the ocean, and Gamera is eating the fire up, you know. It's kind of like a trail of breadcrumbs or, ooh, a piece of candy. Ooh, a piece of candy. You know, sort of like that. But what happens is that storm happens and the wind blows the fire away, you know, on the ocean, which is going to lead Gamera back. So what they try... What the humans then try to do, or in this case, it was Aoki. <clears throat> Sorry, let me go back. I'm on the wrong page. I gotta pronounce it. I want to pronounce it right. Aoyagi. 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 He starts to set, you know, the camp place on fire. And first everyone was like, what the heck are you doing, man? And he's like, look, Gamera, you said Gamera's attracted to fire. We got to start burning this stuff down, you know. Which I thought was a good way of, you know, showing, like, they're desperate. They have no other means to feed Gamera. So, yeah, this is a last stand of, you know, putting the fire, you know, start torching everything to lure Gamera onto the island. But then... Again, the storm happens and the fire gets put out. So, oh, looks like the humans failed. And then all of a sudden, the volcano on the island erupts and that attracts Gamera. And it's like, yay! Yeah, Gamera! Gamera chasing the you know volcano. What luck! Yeah, the, the thing is, it's the volcano erupting itself that I have an issue with. Like, the rest of that scene is fine, but it's when the volcano erupts. I felt that was a cop-out. That was like, oh, we gotta still find a way for Gamera to come on the island. You know, and that's how they had it. I guess it wouldn't be so bad if they foreshadowed, you know, the volcano erupting, you know, earlier in the movie. I don't remember them doing that, so maybe they did. I will say, maybe my memory is a little faulty i was very tired when watching the movie because i watched the movie right after i got done with my retail job so you know i was very tired <laughs> so maybe they did mention that you know the volcano was going to erupt earlier in the movie but i don't have any recollection of it so i'm still going to put it under the dislikes and criticisms part But if you think that is a nitpick, I'm going to talk about some actual problems. And let's talk about Toshio. Yeah, Toshio Sakura, Sakurai, played by 
Yoshiro Uchida. Now, he is the kid that Gamera saved. Uh, there, there's a pro- So, the thing is with the Gamera series in the Showa era is that Gamera is known as the friend to all children. So, it's, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah, you gotta have to have a kid there. But the thing is, Gamera didn't have that reputation in this movie. This was his first movie. And yes, this did ultimately lead to the foundation of the kids in the future Gamera movies. But the problem here is the execution is pretty bad because uh, Toshio actively puts himself in danger multiple times throughout the movie. Uh, Just because he thinks Gamera is his pet turtle he'd let go of. Um, which, uh, the, the kid has, uh, kid probably should know that ga- turtles don't usually grow that large in a very short amount of time. But not only that, is that Toshio kind of enters pretty, not super late in the movie, not like second half. He's still in the first half, but first half, but it's like. 18, 20 minute mark, I want to say that's where he showed up. And this is an hour and 18 minute long movie. So it is probably, you know, at the end of the first act, he and his family are introduced. And the way his story and, you know, that cast of characters integrates into the rest of the movie's plot with Dr. Dr. Hidaka's team you know, and their cast, it's done very poorly. It makes it feel very sloppy. You know, because it feels like, I feel like Toshio's story could have been removed from the movie completely. Like, after the lighthouse scene, you know, if we never saw Toshio, I think that would have worked out in the movie's, you know, benefit, honestly. You know, because it's just kind of weird of how he just becomes part of the movie and also does his sister, you know, older sister who takes care of him. They become part of, you know, that group. And it's one of those, like, the way it's handled was very poorly. It feels like this was a last minute. Oh, we have to have him in here. We got to put him in here. So, yeah, for that, it was very poorly handled. And, as the movies goes forward, you know, the Gamma series goes forward, that doesn't become an issue because they kind of, like, they make the kids the main stars. So, this is kind of a problem specific for this movie. Uh, the next thing I didn't like is the human cast. A lot of the human cast. Now, granted, a lot of them were pretty much uninteresting, but some of the things they did was that I just didn't like. I didn't like some of the actions they made or just some of the reactions they had to what was going on, which, spoiler alert, they didn't really have much of a reaction. It was one of those, oh no! Well, anyways, you know, kind of reaction, like, it felt like how the human cast was portrayed in this movie is that they didn't really care what was going on. 
know, they were just kind of like, oh yeah, we're trying to do this thing. We're trying to stop camera, but we really don't care about the destruction that's going on. We just only care about camera, essentially. Um, Toshio, I mentioned some of my problems with him, but no, I pretty much mentioned all my problems is that he's a kid that tries to get himself into, he does stupid things because of his stupid ideal of his pet turtle that he had to let go turn into Gamera and he puts himself in danger for no reason and he blindly accepts the danger. He, he accepts death. He is proudly willing to get himself killed by Gamera. Because he thinks Gamera's a good guy. Woo. I mean, granted, yeah, Gamera did save him, but still. Uh, kid. You're making everybody's job here just extremely difficult. But Tosho is not my only problem. Uh, Dr. Hidaka, what he did was, you know, he interacts with Tosho, and Tosho actually pleads with the doctor, hey, you know, don't hurt Gamera and all that, you know. And he actually is like, goes to the military officers like, no, kid has a point. If you try to use a bomb, you know, atomic bomb on Gamera, that's just going to make things worse. It's only going to empower Gamera, if anything, you know. But he doesn't like go like, oh yeah, we have, you know, don't worry. He, you know, he pretty much says like, don't worry, kid. Uh, well. You know, we'll make sure Gamera is okay. And then later on is like, oh yes, Gamera's, Gamera being dead, he's going to be such a great specimen. You know, he shows no sympathy for Gamera himself. And he, and I feel like that's kind of like, he says one thing, kid, oh yeah, sure, kid, I can't wait to kill this monster. I know I'm kind of drama. You know, exaggerating a little bit, but that's how it kind of felt. Just, you know, he didn't feel like what he probably should have been, which was more like a Dr. Yamane, where in the original Godzilla, Dr. Yamane, he's the one who's like, who thought, you know, we should capture Godzilla because capture, you know, Godzilla is a really cool specimen. While Dr. Hidaka... He does feel like Gamera's a good specimen. He feels like Gamera's a good specimen when he's dead. So, yeah. But he's, again, there's one other character I want to talk about, which is Aoyagi. Because the problem with him is that earlier in the movie, he, he does something pretty unlikable, is that so he mentions that he, you know, there was like eight other photographers on the boat. In the beginning of the movie, Gamera destroys the boat that, you know, the team were using. But everybody who was on the boat, you know, was killed by Gamera. You know, so Hidaka, Hidaka-sensei, Yamamoto-san, and Aoyagi, they were spared because they were with the Eskimos. Um, also, is, I'm sorry, is Eskimos offensive now? Um, I'm going off by what the movie called them, and the movie did came out in the 60s, so, 
Uh, okay, yeah, so my apologies. Um, for going on, I should have done this before. So, yeah, I've been only going for, you know, Eskimo because of that's what the movie called them. Um, uh, I'm trying to look up what they're actually called. I should have done this before. Uh, so the Inuit, I pretty much, yeah, so the Inuit people, that's who they are in real life. You know, so apologies ahead of time for doing that. Probably should have looked that up. That is on me. So, um, but anyway, moving forward onto the review. Uh, sorry for that little breakaway. Hey, um, so Aoyagi mentioned that it was luck that he was with, you know, Dr. Hidaka and Kyoko. You know, because what happened was that the he and the other photographers they were drawing you know, straws essentially to see who would go with them to take with those two to see the Inuit. And and the thing is it felt like here's the thing. And then Aoyagi was like, We were drawing, you know, straws to see see who could go with you, Kyoko. You know? So yeah, you're my goddess of luck, Kyoko, you know, and it felt he was shifting some of the guilt onto her. It's like, jeez. Jeez, man. You're making her feel guilty for a lot of people's deaths, you know. Because he's like, we were drawing straws because we wanted to go with you, and I was the lucky one. You're my goddess of luck, you know. And that's what he calls her throughout the movie, and it just it rubbed me the wrong way. It really did. So, yeah, the human cast was a letdown and did some unlikable things. This fourth point is, this is again, a very specific for this movie, is that camera saving Toshio is not explored much afterwards. Yeah, because the thing was, he actually almost killed, you know, Toshio later on in the movie when Gamera was eating a bunch of, like, oil tanks that were on the train tracks, you know, those little, Tankers, you know, that the trains carry or whatever they, for that, or whatever they're called. But yeah, um, what was happening is that Gamera was eating those, and Toshio, being the smart one, the smart child that he was, goes on to, you know, track of oil, you know, that Gamera's consuming just because he wants to go see Gamera. Because Gamera's a good guy, and Gamera almost kills him because of that. If it wasn't for somebody saving Toshio's butt, he, Toshio would have been dead. And also, yeah, so it felt like, what was the point of Gamera saving Toshio earlier? And it also muddy, you know, makes things muddy when Gamera, later on in the movie, in that attack of Tokyo, he actually is seen directly attacking humans. Like, he literally rips open, you know, building, and he breathes fire onto a bunch of civilians, and it's like, 
what is what's going on here? This is off. You save one kid, but then you're killing a bunch of other humans. What's up with that camera? I feel a bit of a double standard we got going on. Uh, so yeah. And then I felt like they had an opportunity to have camera symbolize sort of uh, the cool, you know, high, like kind of like the Cold War consequences. Because that's what the intro of the movie was going for. You know, or at least that's why I felt like it was going for it because this was Gamera was a direct result of Cold War tensions happening. You know, the consequences of Cold War and a possible World War Three or the fear of it. You know, that's why I thought it was going on. But again, because he saved Tosho, he can't really be that symbolism because that makes it very like, wait a minute, why is this symbolism of Cold War? Or saving a kid, you know, yeah, it's like it felt like there was a missed opportunity there for Gamera. But I will say, as the movies go forward, ultimately it was a good thing that they didn't go with this. But I, again, I will say for this movie particularly, it was a missed opportunity. Uh, and I'm, it, it's weird. It's like, on one hand, I'm glad they didn't because we got uh, future Gamera movies you know, for them not doing that. You know, get future Gamera movies I like, both from Showa and Heisei. And, but at the same time, it would have been nice to see that it, as kind of like them to push that a bit more. And that will lead on to my final point, which is the movie kind of loses any message or social commentary about the Cold War it might have had by the time the movie ends. Yeah, again, it's uh, it felt like they had this really nice setup and they had some moments about the Cold War, you know, going on, you know, and kind of just the commentary behind that. But again, it was more focused on being a giant monster movie. You know, it kind of lets go, like it starts to really like not care about the Cold War less and less as the movie goes forward. And by the time the movie ends, you'll forget that the Cold War is actually still going on, that this was a result from Cold War, you know, paranoia and conflict. So, yeah, I, I feel like that was a really big oof, you know, just like you had a good premise and you fumbled it. You fumbled it pretty bad, Dai. But... Let's go into my overall thoughts. And my overall thoughts is that Dai Kaiju Gamera is an entertaining kaiju flick and is a decent introduction to Gamera himself. Although the movie does have some significant flaws, I do think it did a good job, good enough job on setting the foundation for what's to come. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. And also, by the way, Gamera has all his powers here. You know, he shoots fire, he spins around, you know, it's like a UFO you know, flying Jesse. Gamera's awesome. Gamera is really neat. And that's it for this episode. And thank you so much for listening to the end of this. So the next movie we're going to be talking about is Gamera Tai Barugan. I hope I said that right. Uh, Gamera...
Okay, so the Japanese title is Daikaiju Keto Gamera Tai Baugan. Or Gamera vs. Barugan. Not to be confused with the Toho monster Baragon or Baragon. It's Baugan. It's a clear difference. So yeah, that's the next movie I'm going to be looking at. And make sure to like and subscribe or dislike it if you really just did not don't like Gamera, which that will hurt. That will hurt Gamera's feelings if that happens. So please don't dislike. Leave a like and also leave a comment. Tell me what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. And yeah, I'm also hoping to have more videos going forward. I am recording this way before this movie or this episode's gonna be posted, so yeah, uh, follow me on YouTube. Like I said, subscribe. Uh, this podcast is also available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Attic, and Podbean.com. And I'm probably going to open up more podcast outlets later on. So yeah, that'll be it for this episode. Again, I appreciate you for listening this far and i hope you have an amazing day take care